able to perform on command. Uh, you start learning these common tasks at basic training, and in fact, you take tests upon them. And if you cannot pass the test on the common tasks, then you do not get to move beyond basic training into your advanced individual training. You can't be a soldier without knowing your common tasks. Even once you graduate basic training in your advanced individual training, periodically you are tested on these common tasks. And if you are not able to perform them, uh, then you will be disqualified for being a soldier. Soldiers always need to know and will always need to be able to perform the common tasks. In a similar way, there are certain basic things in Christianity that are a lot like common tasks. There are things that you need to know right from the beginning of your journey with Jesus and you never outgrow them. Right? Today we're starting a series called Going Deeper with Jesus. And in order to do this, to go deeper with Jesus, we have to be able to get the basics right. If we don't get the basics right, we'll never be able to go deeper with Jesus. The depth of our relationship with Jesus is really built upon our faithfully living out the basics of these of this relationship with Jesus. Today we're going to study a passage that lays out three basics that there are the basically I would say the fundamentals of all things that we need to know and do so that we can deeper go deeper with Jesus. Open your Bibles to John 15 uh, verse 1 is where we're going to start. That's page 824 in your pew Bibles. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's word. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me. You can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Title of the message this morning is rooted in Jesus. Let's pray. Our father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We are thankful for the opportunity to gather to study your word. Lord, how precious it is to to gather with the saints, Lord, to gather with your people, to to be present, Lord, to sing these songs of praise to you, to look at your word that you have given and preserved down through the ages so that we can learn how to live for Jesus, and how to bring glory to your name. Today, as we look at this, Father, do help us to lay aside the cares of life. Help us not to be distracted by anything that may be going on. Help us not to think about who should be here or who's not here, but let us instead listen to your word, look at your word and see what you have for us today. Lord, as we take this word, let it sink deep into our hearts and let it bring forth change in our lives. Father, we know that the ultimate goal of our lives is that we would be like Jesus. And Father, if we're honest, we would all say that there is a great deal of change that needs to be made in our lives before we have reached that goal. And Lord, today, let this be a part of the process that helps us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let this be a part of the process, Lord, that helps us become more like Jesus Christ. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Let my voice make it to the end of the service. Lord, be glorified in all that happens. Help us to respond in ways today that would declare that Jesus is Lord over our lives. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Now, the main thought that stands out as I read this passage and I've read it through the week, it is that everything rises and falls on our connection to Jesus. Right. I mean, our, everything about our spiritual life, everything about our discipleship, everything about our salvation, everything about our relationship with Jesus, all of it. All of it abides. All of it resides. It rises and falls on our connection to Jesus. And so the main thought I want us to understand today is that I must be rooted in Jesus to go deeper with Jesus. Now, this is going to more or less make up the basis of everything that we'll talk about for the next few weeks. Right. We will talk about other things and from other passages, but all of it is going to come back to being rooted in Jesus, right? We must be rooted in Jesus so that we can have a thriving spiritual life. We must be rooted in Jesus if we want to go deeper with Jesus. And this passage, it shows us three ways to ensure that we are rooted in Jesus. The first is abide in Jesus, right? As you read this passage, it would be hard to miss the constant repetition of abiding in Jesus. It appears eight times from verses four to eight. Right. Look at verse four. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in me. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Look at verse five. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me. You can do nothing. Verse six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered and they Gather them and throw them to the fire and they are burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you desire and it shall be done. Over and over and over again, the idea is that we are to abide in Jesus. And every time you see in Scripture a word or a phrase that is constantly repeated as it is here, we need to understand that this is something that God is trying to emphasize for us, something he really wants us to grasp and to understand. And what these verses show us is how critical it is for believers, for disciples to continually abide in Jesus and for Jesus to abide in us. Now, what I want us to focus on really for today's aspect of it is what he says in verse five. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And notice this last part for without me, you can do nothing right now. He doesn't say that without me, you can do little. He doesn't say without me, things will be hard. What he says is without me, you can do nothing. Everything about our spiritual life hinges upon our abiding in Jesus. We are totally dependent on our relationship with Jesus to be able to do anything of value for the kingdom of God. Do we want to go deeper with Jesus? Then we must abide in Jesus. Do we want to have a better understanding of Scripture? Then we must abide in Jesus. Do we want to introduce someone to Jesus? Then we must abide in Jesus. Do we want to be a faithful disciple who lives for Jesus? Then we must abide in Jesus. Do we want to have a powerful prayer life? Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So what's the key to having a powerful prayer life? We must abide in Jesus, right? Everything, everything rises and falls upon abiding in Jesus. Our ability to do anything of value for the kingdom is wholly dependent on on our abiding with Jesus. Now, this truth is sort of a, a two edged sword. But on the one hand, it's humbling to know this, but it destroys my pride. It destroys any sense of self-sufficiency. It causes me to understand that my 
my education, my peer popularity, my social status, my personal vocation. None of that is enough to make me an effective disciple for Jesus Christ. I can only be effective as a disciple for Jesus Christ if I abide in Him. And if I abide in Him, then none of that other stuff matters. As I abide in Jesus, He works in me and through me to accomplish His will. That way, He gets all the glory for what happens and not us. But the Apostle Paul understood this. Paul said, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who has also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. You know, Paul's life is kind of amazing. The things that were accomplished through Paul are tremendous. The churches he planted, the books that he wrote, the number of people that he won to Christ, the number of people that he discipled into fully devoted followers of Jesus. But those things weren't accomplished because Paul was amazing. Those things were accomplished because he abided in Jesus, and Jesus is amazing. But the glory and the honor for anything we do for the kingdom, it always belongs to Jesus. For without Him, we could not have done it. And that is a humbling thing for us. But the other side of this is comfort and encouragement. I mean, think about it. If your kingdom effectiveness isn't dependent upon you, then there is no reason that you should not be actively involved in serving Jesus. But there is nothing that prevents a disciple of Jesus from serving Jesus except for the decision that I'm not going to serve Jesus. Now, we might make excuses. We might say, well, I need a better, to be a better Christian before I would serve Jesus. Or, or we might say, well, no one would believe that Jesus wants me to serve them. Or we might say, I get nervous trying to serve Jesus, especially if there are people that could see me. Now, those would all be really good reasons. If our effectiveness for Jesus was dependent upon us. But it's not. It's not about us at all. It is about the one in whom we abide, Jesus. But the truth is, there is not one believer in Jesus Christ that should not be active in serving Jesus. Now, we may have a list of reasons about why we are not sufficient in and of ourselves. Why we can't and why we shouldn't. But none of that stuff matters because in Jesus we are sufficient. In Jesus we are complete. In Jesus we have all that we need to be able to do whatever it is that God wants us to do. That is good stuff. That is encouraging stuff. Everything rises and falls on our abiding in Jesus. Everything about being a faithful disciple rises and falls on abiding in Jesus. Everything about going deeper with Jesus rises and falls on abiding with Jesus. But to go deeper with Jesus, we must be rooted in Jesus. And to be rooted in Jesus, we must abide in Jesus. So first, we abide in Jesus. But secondly, we want to be fruitful through Jesus. Jesus tells us in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Now that is a statement of certainty. It is certain that the disciple who abides in Jesus will bear much fruit. And it's important that we recognize this as a statement of certainty. Because often what we do 
is we cling very tightly to statements of certainty that we find comforting. But we don't hold on quite as tight to statements of certainty from verses that may challenge us a little bit. Right? So let me give you an example. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is a comforting statement of certainty. We love the certainty of this verse. If I call upon Jesus, I will be saved. My sins will be forgiven. I will be given new life. I don't have to question this. I don't have to wonder about this. I don't have to think that it might happen. Jesus, or the Apostle Paul, says, Whoever, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. It is certain that any person who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now what Jesus says in verse 5 is just as certain as what Paul says in Romans 10 and 13. It is certain that disciples who abide in Jesus will live fruitful lives. In fact, Jesus says in verse 5 that he who abides in me and I in him bears what? Much fruit. Right? It should be natural for us to bear much fruit. As we remain connected to Jesus, as we abide in Him, the Holy Spirit flows from Jesus into our lives. And fruit will be the natural outflow of this. The disciple that is not bearing much fruit should be greatly alarmed. Now it would be easy for us to say, well, does Jesus really care? If I live a fruitful life so long as I don't live a wicked and an immoral life. Well, let me answer that with a passage of Scripture. Turn to Mark 11. Mark 11, verse 12, page Mark 11 and 12. Now the next day, when they had come out of Bethany, he, Jesus, was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing on it but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And in response, he said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples Heard it. Jump down to verse 21. Verse 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering him, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Now this is an interesting passage, and it really can be kind of confusing, right? I mean, why... Was Jesus looking for figs on a fig tree if it was too early for figs? Right? It was not the season for figs, it says in verse 13. If it was not the season for figs, why was Jesus angry? And why did he curse it so that it withered up and died? Well, to understand the story, we really have to understand the context of what's going on. Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem for his triumphal entry. He is quickly headed towards the cross. Uh, He is going to go into the temple. He is going to cleanse it of the tax collectors and all of the people that are not the tax collectors, the 
those that are collecting money that are excluding the Gentiles and keeping them out of there. He's going to clear out the money changers and the merchants. And so he is pushing ever towards the cross. As we think about the life of Jesus, think about the people that bore the brunt of his wrath as he ministered on the earth. Did the people who bore the brunt of his wrath as he ministered on the earth, was it the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and the sinners? No, not really. In fact, when you read Scripture, what you find is those that Jesus dealt most sternly with were the religious leaders of the day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. But did the, did the religious leaders, did they live wicked, immoral lives? Well, no, they didn't. Outwardly, they appeared to be righteous. But they weren't all that they were supposed to be, despite the fact they had the appearance of being righteous. Their lives never really produced the kind of fruit that Jesus or that God wanted from their lives. Now, some truths about the tree that are important. One is that some fig trees are early trees. And that just means what it sounds like. They produce figs ahead of the normal time of the fig tree. Secondly, on, tree, on fig trees, the fruit is produced before the leaves appear. Therefore, if you were to see a fig tree with leaves on it, it would be right to conclude that there should be fruit on it. But this one there wasn't. There was nothing but leaves. And here's how this all ties together. The scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' day had all of the outward acts of being righteous. The leaves, if you will. But there was no fruit from this supposed righteousness. Right? In other words, their religion and their righteousness, it was nothing but leaves. It was, it was an appearance with no reality. And Jesus declared to them in a mighty way that leaves or the appearance of, of religion and righteousness, it is not enough. That what Jesus wants and what Jesus expects is fruit from those who follow him. Right, so think about our lives today. In our lives, we may have all of the leaves of righteousness. Right? We may come to church and we may carry our Bibles and we may give at church and we may listen to Christian music and wear Christian t-shirts and we can quote Bible verses and we, we know doctrine and we talk about how much we love Jesus. But what's the fruit from all of that? What, what, what does all of that produce in our lives? What, may, what is different in us because of all of these outward actions? If all of these outward actions are, are nothing but appearance and there is no fruit produced in our lives, it is not enough. It's not enough that we appear righteous. It's not enough that we appear religious. There must be fruit. There must be something that flows out of our lives because of our connection to Jesus. Disciples who abide in Jesus will, will have more than the appearance of religion and righteousness. They will have fruit that flows from their abiding in Jesus. Turn back to John 15. Notice what Jesus says in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. 
those that are truly his disciples will bear much fruit. And this brings glory to God. You read scripture and you find out how how much God wants his name to be glorified among the unbelievers. Then, you know, bearing fruit is a certainty. Right. It's not one of those things where if I abide in Jesus, I might bear fruit. And it's not if I abide in Jesus that I even should bear fruit. It is that if I abide in Jesus, I will bear fruit. It is certain that the believer in Jesus Christ will bear fruit. If there is no fruit in our lives, then something is terribly wrong. To go deeper with Jesus, we must be rooted in Jesus. And when we're rooted in Jesus, we will naturally bear fruit through Jesus. So we want to abide in Jesus. We want to be fruitful through Jesus. And then finally, we want to be cleansed by Jesus. Jesus says in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And we don't have time to get into that today, but let that sink in a minute. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Every disciple that bears fruit will be pruned so they can bear more fruit. As disciples of Jesus Christ, God is constantly at work in our lives. Weeding things out or pruning things out of our lives that will either hinder our fruitfulness or hold us back in our spiritual life or keep us from following Jesus with all of our hearts. Now, this process is often called sanctification. And sanctification is, is the process God uses to make disciples of Jesus to become like Jesus. Now, sanctification, it affects every area of our lives. Through sanctification, God works to change our values, our attitudes, our values, our priorities, our attitudes, our actions, and our reactions. So that our lives, we imitate the values of Jesus, the priorities of Jesus, the attitudes of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, and the reactions of Jesus. Now, all of these are, are really pretty radical changes. These are not minor things. Let me give you an idea what it would look like. Jesus, God's changing our values so that we line up and have the values like Jesus has. And we won't lay up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Instead, we'll lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For, for where our treasure is, our hearts will be also. But when, when we're becoming like Jesus, our values go from what we can acquire here to what we can store there. Right? There is a change in what matters, what is significant, what we hold most dear. When, when God is pruning us, when God is changing us, He changes our priorities. And so that we begin to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Now, we don't have time to look at the whole context of all of that. Context is believers or disciples seeking after the things of the world, seeking after the things that, that the pagans, that the Gentiles seek. And Jesus saying, don't be like them. 
Seek the kingdom of God first. Seek the righteousness that comes from the kingdom first. And then all of that other stuff that you need, your father knows. He'll provide it. Right? When, when we're becoming like Jesus, our priorities shift. So the kingdom of God and the righteousness of the kingdom. That's what we want most of all in our lives. When God is pruning us and trying to make us like Jesus, He changes our attitudes. Now, we didn't, I didn't post all of that, but that's the B attitudes. And our attitudes change so that we begin to reflect a kingdom attitude, a Christ-like attitude, right? And, and the attitudes will be things like poor in spirit. Right? When we're becoming like Jesus... We understand our need for Jesus. We understand our need for His righteousness, for His goodness, for His grace. We understand that we are not better than other people. When we're being made like Jesus, we'll be those who mourn. We'll mourn over our sin. We'll mourn over the sin of others. We'll mourn over the destruction of families. We'll mourn over the loss of lives. We'll mourn over things that hurt the heart of God. When our attitudes are being changed so that we're like Jesus, we'll become meek. Right? We, we won't have to, to tell everyone what we think. We won't have to, to make sure everyone knows how we've been wronged. Right? It's not that we're scared and it's not that we're weak. We can. We could. But we choose to restrain that and instead to let it go. Because we're becoming like Jesus. When our attitude is becoming like Jesus, we begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I mean, we have a desire for things that would produce us. We desire God's Word. We'll desire prayer. We'll desire church. We'll desire worship. We'll desire things that build a hunger for Jesus and the things of Jesus. At the same time, we'll begin to wean ourselves from things that hinder that hunger. We'll begin to say, you know what? When I, when I watch this show, I begin to not want to read my Bible and pray. I begin to reflect the voice and the words of those people. So I'm not going to watch that anymore. We begin to say, you know what? When I'm around this person, it takes away my time from Jesus. And, I, and it makes me less like Jesus in my attitudes and in my words. So I'm not going to be around them. We begin to push things out of our lives that hinder our hunger for righteousness. When our attitudes are being changed, we'll be merciful. We won't always have to tell people when they're wrong. We won't always have to put people in their place. We won't always have to tell people why they're terrible, awful human beings. We'll be merciful. We'll be kind. When our attitudes are being changed and we're like Jesus, we'll be pure in heart. We won't just appear righteousness on the outside. We will be righteous on the inside. We won't just try to look good to the world and then when we get home and the windows are shut, we act like the world. There will be a purity that we're the same Pure in public as we are pure at home. Pure in diamond as we are far away where nobody would ever know us. We just live the same because we're pure in heart. When our attitudes are being changed to be like Jesus, we'll be peacemakers. We won't be the people that stir up strife. 
We won't be the people that keep things going on. We won't be the, keep, the thing that keeps poking the bear and making everyone mad. Instead, we'll work to bring peace. When we see that people are broken apart, we'll try to bring reconciliation into those relationships. We'll try to stop the strife and make it better. When our attitudes are being changed and we're becoming like Jesus, well, we will be persecuted for righteousness. Now, let me say this. Two, several things about this quickly. One, understand that it's persecuted for righteousness. If I act like a jerk and make someone mad and they cuss me out, I have not been persecuted for righteousness sake. I have been criticized for being a jerk. That's not the same thing. Secondly, it's not that we seek persecution. It's that we don't flee from it. We know living for Jesus and standing for Jesus and speaking for Jesus in this context is going to make this person angry and that person angry. And it may sever this relationship, but we do it anyway. We do what Jesus would have us to do. Let the chips fall where they may. That means we suffer for that sake. So be it. We don't change who we are depending on whom we're around. We stand for Jesus no matter what. And one more thing, just a quick thing. If you decide to be a peacemaker, you can be sure that you'll be persecuted for righteousness sake. Because two people are fighting and you take a side. Then the person whose side you take will like you and the other person won't. But if two people are fighting and you refuse to take a side and you instead try to work it together. Here's what I have found with almost without fail. Neither one of them like you. But we do it anyway because that's what Jesus would have us to do and we're becoming like Him. When, when God is changing us and we're becoming like Jesus, we'll be like Him in our values, our priorities, our attitudes, our, our actions. Jesus said you're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing. But to be thrown out and to be trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a, bat, light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. They may see your good works and glorify your Father that is in heaven. See, as we begin to become like Jesus in our actions... We become like salt and we have a righteous influence on the world around us. We have a righteous influence on our workplace. We have a righteous influence on our circle of friends. We have a righteous influence on our home. I mean, what, think, about, think about this. What, what kind of influence do you have? When you walk into a place and people know you, is it a positive influence or a negative one that you bring with you? When we're becoming like Jesus, we bring a positive one. We bring a righteous influence to every situation that we go. Now, I want to say one thing because it's something that always stands out. Jesus said that if it loses, if, if salt loses its flavor, right, it's good for nothing. In the Gospel of Luke, he says it's not even fit for the dung pile. Can you imagine how worthless something has to be? Before it would ruin a massive pile of manure. That's bad. 
When we're becoming like Jesus, we have a righteous influence. We're not good for nothing. We're good for a lot. But not only do we have a righteous influence, we have a righteous testimony. People see how we live. They see what we do. And they say, man, God is at work in that dude's life. God is at work in that lady's life. I may not even fully believe in God or Jesus, but man, I'm telling you, they do. It's real to them. When we are becoming like Jesus, we are lights that shine and bring glory to God in our every action. In everything we do as we interact with people, as we do business, as we stand in line at Walmart, as we go to the grocery store, as we go out to eat our lives, just bring glory to God. And people can see Christ in us and the difference that He's making. When God is making us like Jesus, He changes our values, our priorities, our attitudes, our actions. And and man, this may be the hardest of all, our, our reactions. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I was raised in a family where we, we understood that concept right there. Right? In fact, we kind of took it a little bit further. Our, our motto as the Roth family was, we don't get even, we get ahead. Uh, If there was somebody had done something to us, you can bet in one way or another, we would do something back. So I relate to that right there. But it's the next part. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And then you can read verses 40 through 48 go with that as well. And you should read about doing good to those that hate you and blessing those who persecute you and all of that. See, when we're becoming like Jesus, we don't react to stressors like the world does. The world gets an eye for an eye. The world gets don't get even, get ahead. The world doesn't really get turn the other cheek. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those that curse you. But when we're becoming like Jesus, that's how our reactions are. When we're becoming like Jesus, we don't react to every stressor like the world we don't react to everything that upsets us with anger and violence flying off at the mouth. When we're becoming like Jesus, our reactions begin to imitate Jesus. We look like Him in His life. Now, this is all a good picture of what it looks like to be like Jesus. Right, there are three things that God uses primarily to, to make us like Jesus. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, and our decision of faith. As we study the Word of God, either personally or through preaching of the Word, the Holy Spirit will show us where our values and our priorities, our attitudes and our actions or our reactions aren't lined up with Jesus. And He will also show us what we need to do so that we can bring our attitudes, actions, reactions, priorities and values in line with the values, priorities, attitudes, actions and reactions of Jesus. And at that point, we have a decision to make. Will I respond in faith, surrender the Holy Spirit, and do my best to make the changes that He wants me to make? Or will I resist and reject what the Spirit of God is doing in my life? See, every time the Holy Spirit deals with us, we make a decision. We either surrender to that and cooperate with what the Spirit is doing, or we reject it. 
I mean, there, there's no neutral. We don't get to be Switzerland at that point. We either go with the Holy Spirit or we push the Holy Spirit away. Those are the only two choices that there are. Now, when we respond to the Holy Spirit and we surrender to his work in our lives, there are three primary results that happen. The first is that we do become more like Jesus. Every time we surrender to the Holy Spirit and strive to bring our values, priorities, attitudes, actions or reactions in line with what he's shown us in Scripture, we make a little progress in becoming more like Jesus, which is the goal of our lives as believers. The second is that we become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leadership. As disciples of Jesus, we are meant to walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, be empowered by the Spirit, and have communion with the Spirit. And every time we surrender to the Holy Spirit and strive to bring our values, priorities, attitudes, actions, or reactions in line with what He's shown us in Scripture, we become a little more aware of His presence, a little more sensitive to His leading in our lives. The third is that we position ourselves to be more fruitful for the glory of God. Look at verse 2. He prunes that we may bear more fruit. God has determined that every disciple will bear bear much fruit for his glory. Therefore, much of his work in our lives is to prepare us to be more fruitful. Every time we surrender the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, and we strive to bring our values, priorities, attitudes, actions, or reactions in line with what He's shown us in Scripture, we position ourselves to be more fruitful and bring more glory to our great God. And this is a constant process. It starts the moment we're saved, and it continues all of our lives. And if you are a Christian and you are alive This process should be going on in your life right now, today. And if we want to go deeper with Jesus, we have to be rooted in Jesus. And to be rooted in Jesus, we have to be cleansed by Jesus. Now, it's interesting how all of these work together. By living a fruitful life, we prove that we are truly Jesus' disciples. However, in order to live a fruitful life, we have to abide in Jesus. And if we abide in Jesus and bear fruit, we will be pruned so that we can bear even more fruit. Each of these elements works together. And maybe most importantly, all of the elements must be present in our lives if we truly want to be rooted in Jesus so that we can go deeper with Jesus. We must have all of them going on in our lives. We must abide in Jesus. We must. We must bear fruit. We must. And we must be cleansed. We, we must. We will never go deeper with Jesus. We will never be rooted in Jesus. If all of these are not a part of our lives. So as you look at your life in light of what we talked about today, would you say that you're rooted in Jesus? I mean, are you abiding in Jesus? Are you close to Him? Are are you doing those things that produce a depth of relationship with Jesus in your life? Are you aware of His presence in your life? Is your spiritual life thriving and, and growing? Are you bearing fruit through Jesus? What is there in your life 
that is only there because of your connection to Jesus. Not something that's there because you're older. Not something that's there because you're married. Not something that's there because you have children or you don't have children. Not something that's there because of the circumstances of your life. What is in your life that absolutely would not be there if you were not abiding in Jesus? What is something in your life that only Jesus has produced? And are you being cleansed by Jesus? Unless you've arrived and you are just like Jesus in your values, your priorities, your attitudes, your actions and your reactions. The Holy Spirit should be working on you about something. What is the Holy Spirit showing you that you need to do to bring your values, your priorities, your attitudes and your react, your actions and your reactions in line with Jesus's values, Jesus's priorities, Jesus's attitudes, Jesus's actions and Jesus's reactions. If you are not rooted firmly in Jesus. This is the time. This is the place. To begin to make things different in your life. One thing I, I want to say in closing, and we'll have the musicians come forward. I, I talked about what happens when we surrender to the Holy Spirit. The changes and the things that happen. But understand something happens when we resist that as well. When we resist the change he's trying to bring in our lives, we don't stay the same. It still brings a change. Right? We become less like Jesus. We become hardened against the Holy Spirit and his leadership in our lives. We make it harder for us to bear fruit for the glory of God. The Christian life is not about, we don't stand still. We can't pick a spot and say, I like the area I'm at in my Christian life now. I'm not going any further. The moment we stop trying to go forward, we start regressing. Every time we resist the Spirit, we go a little bit further back, a little bit further back, and a little bit further back. There is no place to stop. There is no time to resist. Surrender to whatever the Holy Spirit is dealing with your life today. I'm going to pray and the altars will be open if you need to come.